And we are going to study in God's word today. And good thing for that, because I have nothing good to say. I can stand up here. I have nothing intelligent to say. I'm just going to point us to the word of God. So why don't you uh, turn with me, Matthew 11. Matthew 11, we're going to study some verses. For a lot of you might be very familiar verses. Matthew 11, we're going to start in verse 28. Why don't you stand with me as we read the word of God together. Verse 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can take a seat. So this is Jesus speaking here in the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus at this point is pretty, pretty well into his ministry. He, he has been going from town to town, uh, doing miracles, healing, and teaching to the multitudes. And this is an instance where we see Jesus teaching to the multitude. And if we really take this section of Scripture and we put it into the context uh, of what Jesus is sharing with the people, in chapter 11 we see Jesus really highlighting a little bit of some of the near history of the coming of Jesus as Messiah. And he starts off by bringing to light the fact that John the Baptist, the greatest prophet who was the forerunner, who was the voice in the wilderness preparing the way for Jesus as he came preaching a message of repentance. But that message and John the Baptist was not received amongst the religious. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus, in his ministry and his heart to reach the Jewish people as the promise, the Messiah, the, the Savior to the world who came to wipe away, to wash away the sins of the world, who came with miracles, who came in lowliness gentleness and love was not very well received in the, in the many cities that he brought this message of hope. And so he starts pronouncing these judgments on these cities where he did ministry because of their rejection of him. And this is a judgment on the religious people of that day who were so set in their religious ways, who were so set into the religion of works and law and works-based worship, that they said, no, 
Now, we don't want to receive the promised Savior because we, we've got Moses. We've got the Torah. We've got the law. So everything the law and the writings were pointing to, which was Jesus coming, they've rejected. And we see that throughout the New Testament, Jesus speaking of the hardness of heart found in the people he was coming to save. And he's pronouncing these judgments so much so that he's saying it would have, it, it was, it would have been better for Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment, you have no excuse. And he compares these judgments to the judgments in the Old Testament that God judged the unbelieving heathen world. And let me say, ouch. Ouch. And these people are hearing this message. And in the midst of this, Jesus says these profound words. And he's opening the door, this personal invitation for all to come to him. And he says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all you who realize and recognize your need for a savior. And Jesus has come to this world, and he is going to save the lost. But let me say something. You need to realize you are lost first and foremost if Jesus is going to save you, right? This is, this is not something that can be missed. If you have everything together in life, if you feel like, you know what, I've got it all together, I don't need Jesus, well, that's a pretty unfortunate place to be because we are all in desperate, desperate need of Jesus. See, in the Garden of Eden, through the fall and sin entering the world, we are all under the judgment and the curse of sin. And in that, what happened was man who was created in the image of God and created to experience oneness and fellowship with God has been separated from God. And since man was cast out of the garden, man is in this place where there is a hole inside of them that they are all, we are all desperately trying to fill with something. And nothing will bring that rest or that peace in our lives until we come to realize only Jesus fills that hole. So Jesus says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, you who are needy. Come to me, you who realize that everything else in this created world has yet to fill and satisfy your longing, thirsty soul.
Too often, pride holds us back from seeing our needs. Too often, pride and being set in our ways, putting our trust in our works, our abilities, who we are, will blind us from seeing our needs. Sometimes we're so invested into things. I'm so committed to this. I don't want to turn back now. I don't want to say, hey, this isn't working. I'm too invested into this. I mean, time and time again, let me tell you something. This happens to me and my wife regularly. We will leave our house, and we've got three kids, so it's like, you know, it's always a zoo trying to get out of the house and we get everybody in the car and we're ready to go and then we're driving down the road and my wife's like, we forgot, fill in the blank. And I'm just like, no, all right, we're, we're too far. <laughs> I'm not turning around. Like, I'm just too prideful to recognize, you know what, okay, this isn't good, we need this. And let's just turn around, let's just read, it's okay. Let's just turn around. No, 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 I'm committed. I'm committed to this course. And then I find out later, oh gosh, I made such a mistake. I forgot my wallet. <laughs> we forgot, fill in the blank. And pride can hold us back from experiencing maybe some spiritual things that God wants to do. And I think this word speaks to those who maybe haven't given their life to Jesus, but also for us of for those of us who've fallen to him for many years, sometimes we just don't recognize that call and the things he wants to do in our lives. Labor and heavy laden. D.A. Carson, a great scholar, speaks of this. He says, labor, here in this text, implies the burdens we take upon ourselves and heavy laden implies the burdens others put upon us. And why don't we break this down a little bit more and look at these two words as Jesus is calling us who labor and heavy laden to himself. To labor, the laboring after something greater, something more something bigger, something better, and not really having a contentment. And like I said, it's hard to have contentment in this world, especially if you're looking for contentment in all the wrong places. But it will sometimes produce in us a striving, a laboring, where we will start to look at things in this world and say, hey, if I only had this, if I only had that, if circumstances were only better, more, different, well then, and, and then will I find rest and contentment. And we labor after things we labor for satisfaction. We strive for it. And as the Rolling Stones song goes, I can't get no satisfaction. But I keep trying. 
and I try, and I try, and I try. And we are left so empty, striving for what's next. The next empty promise. And we labor. And what things are you maybe laboring after, striving after? What is creating a laboring in your life maybe going to open and soften your heart to the call of Jesus. And sometimes we even labor and strive after spiritual things. This isn't necessarily always worldly things. Sometimes we labor after, if only my spiritual life could look like this, if I only put more time and energy into this, and we start to, to weigh ourselves down with a guilty, shameful Christianity where we shame ourselves into change. And we start making lists. I have this like real tendency of doing this. Like I start making lists of 98 things I need to change about myself. And that's like, I could probably do that in two minutes. If I really sat there for an hour, I mean, I could just come up with an endless list. Like, I'm a flawed person. I need to change a lot about myself. And then we start to weigh ourselves down and guilt ourselves into what we need to change. As though change comes from within. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a lady who attended this church for a long time. Real sweet lady. She is, she's moved out of the area, but she has this great story of before she came to faith, she was like just, again, this like hole in her heart, longing and striving, laboring for more, laboring to figure out the purpose of life, not comfortable in herself. And so she starts seeking the spiritual world, and she ends up going on this like six-week pilgrimage to India out in this monastery in the mountains that like she had to like hike to. And in this monastery where she was able to sit at the feet of this monk, she's like, he's going to, he, I'm going to find the purpose of life. And the monk looks at her and says, the answer you've been looking for is found within. And she goes, what a sham and a waste of time and money. You are not going to find within you the answer to the whole in each of us. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. The, not only do we labor, but He's calling the heavy laden to himself. Again, this is the idea here, the, the, the weight that others put on us. And for the Jewish people of that day, this was very prevalent. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, just, I mean, they kept adding to the law. Like, it's like, and, and if you ever read the Old Testament, like the, the law in the Old Testament, like, I mean, it, there's more than enough in there. You don't have to add to it. 
And the Pharisees, then, then it was the oral law, which was the, the teaching of the rabbis. And they just kept adding and adding and adding. And they weighed the people down with all of these expectations of what living out the law needed to look like to the point where it was unattainable, unachievable. And we can really have the burden of the expectations that others put on us. And it creates a heavy-laden life to live where well, if, if I, I could only live up to the expectations of what my boss puts on me, I can only live up to the expectations my parents put on me, what teachers put on me, what religious leaders place on me. And that can really be a heavy, challenging place where we just feel so weighed down by what we can fail to live up to. And Jesus says, come to me. Are you overloaded today? And Jesus is inviting you to come and find rest in him, experiencing the rest that comes through surrender and coming to Jesus. I think no scripture better illustrates this than Hebrews 4. The book of Hebrews is written after Jesus comes on the scene. It's after his death and resurrection. And the book of Hebrews, which is being written to a Jewish community of believers, Christians. And what the author of Hebrews is doing, he's really taking the, the known things of the Old Testament and he's really showing how Jesus fulfills and Jesus is far better. And the rest that the people of the Old Testament were searching out and seeking for, but never were able to come to know, is found solely in faith in Jesus Christ. And I love how this rest that we find in Jesus is as I kind of started the message off talking about how our relationship with God since the fall in the garden has been severed and we've been exiled, right? The only thing that can make that relationship redeemed or restored is the work of the cross. And in the work of the cross, in that restored relationship with God, we can experience peace with God and the rest that Jesus is speaking of here. Romans 5.1, I like how Paul puts it of this justification by faith. He says, therefore, Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is not a result of laboring after something in this world or striving to live up to a standard or expectation that is not attainable. It's not by man-made laws or rules or regulations. It's not by a religion 
that places the yoke on what you do and how you live and fulfilling some sort of law. Your good works are not going to reconcile you to God, but it's through faith in this atoning work that we are justified. Not only does Jesus call us to come, but he also, in these verses, verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, if you were living in the day and age of Jesus, you would understand exactly what a yoke is. But because we live in the days and age of tractors and heavy machinery to do farming, we think a yoke is, you know, the center part of an egg, right? That's, of course, what Jesus is talking about. I mean, that's, that's like a modern-day American interpretation. That's what we know a yoke to be. It's like the center of an egg. But no, a yoke in that day and age was a large wooden uh, kind of pole that they would put on the backs of the ox. And what that yoke would do is it would harness the power of the ox and the control of the master to farm and till the land. Now, to put a yoke on an ox, well, think about that. A large wooden pole. Like that's, does that sound light to you? Does that sound like something that you want to put on your back? Of course not. In this day and age, this was a common phrase or term that would be used as a call to discipleship. When you took a yoke of a rabbi, the idea is, is you are coming under their teaching and you are kind of giving them the reins to direct you like an ox is controlled and directed by the farmer. And this was very common in this day and age for a rabbi to, to see a, a young student who is devout, who's dedicated, who's religious, who maybe comes with a, a good name, and he says, hey, you are worthy. You fit my criteria. Follow me. Come learn at my feet. Now, Jesus has a criteria too, you know. See, Jesus only calls the smart, intelligent, wise, handsome, wealthy, of good reputation people to himself. That's why I was called personally by Jesus. And obviously, this group of fine people, no, that is so not the case of the criteria Jesus has as he calls people to himself. But in the text, he doesn't call the learned. I mean, if, if we read the section prior, he's like, like, they're too prideful. Like the religious people, the people of high stature, they're so prideful and blind, they've rejected me. But I am going to call the lost the sick, the maimed, the lame, those whom you find in the highways and byways, those that are destitute, 
those who realize within themselves there is a great need. I'm a needy person. And man, my rabbi did not call me because of what I had to offer. But because what he wanted to offer. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. As Jesus calls in this teaching people to come to him, to take his yoke upon him, he says, learn from me. I feel that no section of Scripture better illustrates the learning from Jesus than the story of Mary and Martha. For those of you that know that story, it's such a beautiful story where Jesus comes and he's staying with some friends, this family that he's really close with, and there's two sisters, Mary and Martha, and, and, and man, it is such a great illustration where Martha, she's a woman of hospitality. She's a woman of service. She's a woman to be admired. And she's like, Jesus is here. I am going to serve the master. And so she's overwhelmed in herself with much serving while her sister is too busy sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from the rabbi. And what a beautiful picture, because Jesus literally takes the two of them, and he says, Mary has chose the greater. And it's a picture of what a life as a disciple looks like, that we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to learn from him. And we need to... to to allow for him to work in our lives. And service, will service for Jesus will only come out of a transformed life that has learned and has sat at his feet. And sometimes, like Martha, we're so burdened and overwhelmed in life. We're so distracted in life. We neglect to the greater thing to just sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And we fail to realize and see how taking the yoke of Christ upon us is actually a commitment to be a student of Jesus, to learn from him, to get to know how Jesus did things, to allow for the transformation that only comes through spending time with Jesus, that he would transform us to look more and more like him we're so overwhelmed sometimes with other things, things that distract us, things that take away from. And again, Martha, she wasn't, she wasn't distracted with something that like wasn't good. It's not like she was out, you know, partying and, you know, she was too busy, you know, getting entertained or whatever, you know, things that we can distract ourselves with. No, she was, she was serving Jesus, showing hospitality. These are good things. Sometimes we can be so distracted with good things that we miss out on the better things. 
He calls us to learn from him. And then he speaks of a rest. Again, the word rest, it's repetitive in these two verses. We see rest used twice. I will give you rest. And the second rest is a different type of rest. I will give you rest for your souls. You know, the first time I heard these verses, I can't remember if it was in a teaching or not, but I was a young Christian. I was very restless. I was very much a, a, a person who just had a lot of anxiety. I was really struggling. And I heard this verse, rest for your soul. And it was like I was instantly so captivated by the idea that I could be comfortable in my soul. Like that there could be a rest that happens inside of me. It was such a foreign concept. And Jesus promises rest for your soul. And again, the rest Jesus was speaking of in that first verse we looked at, it's rest in the sense of we no longer need to work for salvation through Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to God. We have the peace we have peace with God. This rest is speaking of a rest that comes through that faith. It's a rest that experiences the peace of God in our lives. Sometimes we really have some serious misconceptions as believers, not just as non-believers, but I'm speaking to us as believers because I struggle with some of these misconceptions of where rest will come from. And sometimes we can think rest is gonna come if I just go on vacation. I need a vacation. And it's like, I'm tired, I'm restless. And, and, and maybe it's like, man, my soul needs rest, but I'm convinced that maybe if I get physical, mental rest from vacation, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel so much better and refreshed. Well, let, let's see, let's see if, that, if that's true in the case. Who here loves going on vacation? Okay, I mean, I'm sure most of you here, I mean, there's some probably workaholics here that are like, hate vacation, okay. But most of us, we love vacation. And when we're tired, when we're restless, like there's nothing better than to think of, man, where can I go? I want a vacation. Now, for those of you that love vacation and maybe regularly go on vacation, who here comes back from vacation and is exhausted? <laughs> like, do you see the irony there? You know, it's like there's a saying that we've come up with, and it's, I need a rest from my vacation. And we need to understand vacation is a great benefit to physical rest, to mental rest, to spend time with family. Like, there's great benefits to vacation. But do not be deceived. R vacation will not bring rest to your soul. Because True rest, rest that our soul longs for, is not found on a tropical beach. It definitely ain't found at Disney World. You'll only come home tired and broke. But it is only found in the person 
of Jesus Christ. I love how Paul puts it in the book of Philippians, speaking of the peace of God, rest for our soul. Philippians 4, 6, he says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Jesus Christ. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's the peace that we can experience when Jesus, Jesus' yoke is something that we take as he offers to us, as we learn from him, as we spend time with him, as we allow his work of sanctification to take root and change us, transform us, and we enter into this fellowship that he's calling us into, we start to see the peace of God, the rest for our souls. And how he finishes this section as we're finishing up, he says this, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you read this section of scripture and interpret it that the Christian life is going to be easy, you have a really, really bad interpretation of this scripture. And I promise you, if you read on, and read more of the New Testament, you will find out that the Christian life is hard. And the Christian life is full of trials. The Christian life is full, and the Word of God is full of a message of perseverance because of how challenging and how much struggle we can deal with and walk through this side of eternity. We live in a fallen world stained and tainted by sin. But let me say something. That in the midst of all the trials, in the midst of all the suffering, the loss, the things that we in this life are going to and will deal with, our Savior, puts nothing on our back that we cannot handle because his load is not burdensome. Now, let me put it this way, because I love how this idea of a, a, a yoke that is light is really understood. This word light is actually kind of meaning tailor-made, as though Jesus has a tailor-made yoke for each of us. And the yoke he puts on your back and the yoke he, 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 he puts on my back is gonna be very different because we have different lives 
and we're at a different place in our walk with Jesus. And we can handle different things, and the way he is shaping us and forming our faith and our character is going to look very different. Now, my kids, this kind of gives me a picture of my kids wanting to give their dad a piggyback ride. My kids love doing this with me. They want me to get on their back. Now, I have a, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old. I don't really do this as much with the three-year-old, but <laughs> I literally get on their backs like this. And then they go to pick me up. And because I've got a countertop here and a countertop here in my kitchen, I just pick myself up. And then they get me off the ground. They're like, I'm doing it. But what they don't understand is daddy is really bearing all the weight. See, Jesus can say my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because he has bored the yoke for us. Because he is carrying the weight, but he doesn't say it's weightless, but he only puts on us what we can handle, and he always will use it for the purpose of building our faith, building our character, and transforming us to be more and more like him because he loves us. The Christian life, not easy, and it will have many trials along the way. It reminds me of this poem that a wonderful poet, Annie Johnson Flint, wrote. Now, she was a young lady who was bedridden from a young age until the day she died, and she writes this beautiful poem, and it goes like this. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. He added affliction. He added his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our storehouse of endurance, when our strength has failed or even the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arms everlasting, availing the Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth, and giveth again. When Jesus said, learn from me, it is in these moments of life we experience and learn a new depth of who Jesus is. And the power of Christ in us. In these moments, they broaden our perspective of how much we're loved, how big God is, and that truly he is present and has great rest 
for his children.